Welcome to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.thepastormax.ng. Father, thank you because I'm anointed to teach. Thank you because your people are anointed to receive. And together, faith is built up in the knowledge of the person of Jesus. I pray that light and understanding, signs, wonders, and miracles will take place at the teaching of your word in Jesus' mighty name. Can I get a good amen? Amen. All right, this morning I want to look at something called wisdom essentials for a great life. Wisdom essentials for a great life. And um, like we know in our churches, the month of January, as we start getting into the year, we spend some time on wisdom and I think it's very important it's very important Uh, many people start the year with fasting with prayers and all that is good that's important we're going to fast this week but the role of wisdom in our lives cannot be underestimated and if there are people that should be wise should be the sons of God if there is a life that should show wisdom it should be the life of a Christian or the life of a child of God. So we're looking at wisdom essentials for a great life. Come with me to Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24. And we're going to read verse 3. Proverbs chapter 24. Praise God. And verse 3. We will stop at verse 4. It says, By wisdom... A house is built by wisdom. A house is built. And by understanding, it is established. By wisdom, a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. And by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Look at those three things. By wisdom, a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. And by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious things. So we find three things there. First of all, we find that wisdom builds. Right? Wisdom builds. Understanding establishes. And knowledge fills the rooms. Those are three things we find in that verse of scripture. First of all, wisdom builds. Wisdom builds. So wisdom is a builder. If a man is wise, he should be able to build things. He should be able to build things. Now, I want to read from the Amplified Version. The Amplified Version. Same chapter, same verse, Proverbs 24, verse 3. It says, the Amplified, um, it says, True, skillful, and godly wisdom, a house. Then it puts in bracket, that's why I'm reading the Amplified version, it puts in bracket a life, a home, a family is built. 
Through wisdom. A life is built. Through wisdom. A home is built. Through wisdom. A family is built. So when we talk about building by wisdom. Every aspect of your life is built by wisdom. Your life is built by wisdom. Look at that. True skillful and godly wisdom. A house. A life. A home. A family. You can put the business is built. God doesn't build people. People build themselves. One of the things that I try as much as I can in the teaching of God's word to explain to God's people, you have more role to play in your life than God has. How this year is going to turn up has a whole lot more to do. In fact, I would say 90% what you do and 10% what God is going to do. Why? Because when Jesus died on the cross and he said it is finished, actually it is finished. There's nothing else God is going to do for you. You know, if you grew up with some mothers, right? Uh, and you do some things and they, they talk to you and all that and you don't listen, then they'll tell you, what do you want me to do for you, right? Say, do you want me to kill myself for you? You're, you're, how many of you had those kind of words? Say, do you want me to kill myself for you? What your mother is trying to say is that that's the, that's the last thing. Let me ask you one question this morning. What else can God do for you after he has died on the cross? What else should he do? There's nothing else. So the, 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 the faster you realize that your life is your making, that whatever it is that pertains to life and godliness, God has already given to you. He's given you the word of God. He's given you pastors to teach you. He's given you the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. There's nothing else God will do that will be different from what he has already done. There's nothing else. Oh God, change my story. He's told you how people in the scriptures change their story. Follow the examples. We, we assume and it gives us a version of Christianity that makes us very irresponsible. Why? Because we just assume, oh, God is sitting on the throne and he's just looking for who to bless. And he's just looking for who to bless. So he sees this man, he blesses him that day because he's in a good mood or because the man danced very well. No. Why will God judge you if you were not responsible for your actions? What would be the basis of judgment if he hasn't given you what to do? Are you following this now? I said, are you following this now? Go to Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Let's read it from, well, we can read it from the New American Standard Bible, but go, come with me to Joshua 1 8. <laughs> okay, you can, we can use the amplified version. It's okay. Joshua 1 8. The book of the Lord shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe. And do according to all that is written in it. Look at this. For then, who shall make his way prosperous? You. Right? Hey, leave it. Leave it there. Verse, verse 8. Peter, verse 8. 
Just leave it there. For then you shall make your way prosperous and then you shall deal wisely and have good success. Even if the devil is your problem, God has told you how to overcome him. Even if it's the devil. This year, take responsibility for your life. Take responsibility. Oh, I don't know how my life is going. Bring it back and set it in the right direction. I tell my pastors all the time, don't say you don't know why a church is growing. Find out why. That's why you are there. Why is the church not growing? Why should it not grow? God will not call you and not want to bless what you're doing. It makes him a wicked God. God will not create you and decide that you should be a failure. What pleasure do God derive from your failure? He says, by wisdom. Go back to that chapter. Chapter uh, Proverbs 24 verse 3 amplified. By wisdom, a life is built. A home is built. A family is built. Every problem you are experiencing in life is a wisdom problem. It's a wisdom problem. Sometimes it's not even a, a problem of opportunities. It's not a problem of resources. It's a wisdom problem. If you look at our nation, for instance, our problem is not a, a problem of resources. It's the allocation of resources. The resources are allocated, but they are allocated in a certain direction. <laughs> are you following this now? This year, if you would gain more wisdom, you will make more progress. Wisdom essentials for a great life. Decide that you will not live an ordinary life. Make a decision. It starts with a decision. It starts with a decision. And we're not talking about just the real thing of, you know, I'm going to be a big man. No, 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 no. I don't like people who they dream. What do I mean by that? People just sit down and say, I know one day it go better. How? They have no clue. When it's my turn, things will turn. When will it be your turn? They have no idea. How do you live that way? How do you live that way without guarantees and without assurance? Even when the children of Israel were going to Canaan land, he sent the spies to bring the grapes of the land. The grapes told them what kind of land they were going to. Even if you are in the wilderness, you should have a picture of Canaan. It gives you an idea. So you don't end up in the wrong location. There should be a clear mental picture that this year will end well. Not, not, you are not against saying it. Even if the year will end well, what scripture are you standing on? What steps are you taking? And if people don't understand this, it makes Christianity look like God is wasting our time. No! We, we ought to do life with God. It's not like, you know, I'm a Christian and I have my real life. No, your Christianity impacts everything you do. Impacts your decision. Impacts your work. You, you're doing life with God. Church is not one of the things you go to. No, it's part of your life. You know, many times people ask me and they say, how do you manage to combine your family and your ministry life? I said, I don't have two lives. I don't have a pulpit life and I have a family life. What you see in the pulpit 
is what you see at home. There's no, my children don't, don't see me on Sunday on pulpit and say, I'm a man of God. And then see me in the house. I don't have two lives. It's one life. It's one seamless flow. The examples I give in the pulpit, they are the examples at home. It's, it's one life. I remember I was, <laughs> two Sundays ago, I was teaching and I was talking about my, my daughter. She's got these two babies. You know, she calls Amber and, I don't know, Lisa and all sorts of like. They are so real to her. You know, uh, she was going to school the other day and she told my, my wife, said, yeah, please, I've, I've prepared Amber and Lisa's lunch and, <laughs> and schoolwork. Try and help them do their homework. So, my wife said, uh, they've left you. I said, don't involve me. You know, when she started, I told her, so because wisdom makes your life peaceful. I said, this play that you are starting now, it will become so real that this will become part of your life. She thought I was joking. Now she has to take care of those children. She has to do homework. She has to do everything. They did birthday celebration for those things. <laughs> you know. So she was, of course, in the children's church. So the elder brother said, oh, today they used your children to preach. They said, ah, I need to listen to the message. I, know, I need to hear what daddy said about them. So what I'm trying to say is, is when you have a dual life, that you can say, how are you combining ministry and family? If it's one life, there's no combination. It's from the pulpit, your life flows home. From home, your life flows through the pulpit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If you're a hypocrite, life becomes complex. Because people don't know what they get. By wisdom, a house is built. So we build things by wisdom. Every life is built by someone. You must assume responsibility for everything that you desire to build. You want to have a great financial future. You will do it by wisdom. You cannot build. You, sorry. You cannot experience what you have not built. Bible says in the book of Hebrews. Every house is built by someone. Though God builds everything. Every house is built by someone. When God created Adam in the garden. He gave him responsibility for the garden. Says, be blessed, multiply, replenish the earth. God gave him the responsibility to build. See, the greatest word you will ever learn from scripture is responsibility. Even concerning the thoughts that come to your mind, you have the responsibility to cast down evil imaginations. You think of bad things happening, you have a responsibility over that thoughts. You can't control the thoughts that come in, but you can control if you're going to dwell in them. You have control over anxiety. You have control over worry. You are not, you were not created without control. Praise God. Are you still here? Now, let's look at something. How does Jesus define a great life? We want to talk about a great life. What's a great life? First of all, then we'll come back to wisdom. Come with me to Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. Luke 12, 15. How does Jesus define a great life? Luke 12, 15. He says, then he said to them beware and be on your guard against every form of greed for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions so the bible says that a great life is not in the accumulation of possessions it, and it's interesting because if we take the definition of God's word, we would realize that accumulation does not necessarily mean a great life. But today, our definition of a great life is by what we accumulate. 
It's accumulation. How much more things can we get? But these things never satisfy. They really never satisfy. So a great life is not by accumulation. So what is a great life? In Matthew chapter 11 verse 11, you can put the scripture up. It's interesting that Jesus in referring to John the Baptist said something very interesting. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11. Matthew 11, 11. Jesus said something very interesting about John the Baptist. It says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. But I want you to observe, it says there is no one greater than John the Baptist of all the prophets. <laughs> this is interesting. If this wasn't coming from the life and the mouth of Jesus, we would not believe him. Because for the prophet, you had Moses, who parted the Red Sea, did some very strange miracles. You have Elijah, called on fire. You had quite a number of people. But Jesus said, no one is greater than John the Baptist. What stood John the Baptist out? First of all, he pointed men to Jesus. He knew why he was here. He had an understanding of his purpose. So Jesus wasn't rating greatness by what they have. But rather, Jesus was rating greatness by who they are and what they did in respect to the kingdom of God. Who they are, praise God, and what they did in respect to God's kingdom. That's greatness. So, I'll say three things. Number one, a great life is not a life that consists of just what you possess. It's not defined by accumulation. You realize that when we look at a part of the world, especially our nation, people define greatness by accumulation. And you would see a leader who's got 20 cars, 30 cars. Let's be honest. How many of those cars can the person really drive at a time? If you look at your own life, you know, it's okay to look at such people and you feel, oh, these people have a lot of things. But do you realize that if you go back home today and look at your life, you have a lot of things you're not using? That's the truth. And even at our own level, we still define our life by accumulation. By what we have. And that's why when people get wealthy, I talked about it on Thursday during the Bible study. When people get wealthy, the first thing they want to do is what? Accumulate more. Change everything to tell people that they have really arrived. So they change their phones. Change where they stay. Change a lot of things. So great life does not consist of just what you possess. And you must not think life in terms of possession. You must not think life that way. You must not think life in terms of accumulation. If you think that way, the Bible says that you will be uh, driven by greed. You would always want to accumulate more. You'd always want to have some more. There will be a form of covetousness that will drive you. You will not think impact. You will not think distribution. You just think accumulation. 
our definition of a great life must come from the one who created us. Praise God. Never take your self-esteem from what you have. Always take your self-esteem from who you are. Character is what defines you. Always take your self-esteem from who you are in Christ. Who God has made you. What you represent, not what you have. And I'll tell you, if you take care of who you are, you will have. If you have integrity, people will trust you with money. That's the truth. If you have integrity, if you have character, if you keep your words, if you're skillful, if you're diligent, people will trust you. You will have. But if your pursuit is what to have, you know what you're going to do? You're going to rubbish your name. You're going to short circuit people. You're going to do all kinds of things just to have. And at the end of the day, your character would take from you. Never focus on what you have. I tell ministers all the time, never focus on what your people give to you. In, in that sense, don't, don't try to reach out to people because they can give you something. No, don't do that. Focus on the call of God on your life, the teaching of God's word, and God knows how to take care of the rest. The same thing. When you go to work, don't focus on how you can take from your boss. You know, there are some people who pay themselves. They feel they are not paid enough, so they'll pay themselves. Hmm? You take things from the office. Say, after all, we have a lot of money. Why are they not paying me? You take stapler. You take staple pins. You take things. You are, you are augmenting your salary. <laughs> you feel you are wise. You're not. You feel you are wise. You see, you can't... Let me tell you, the human mind is so intelligent that they can rationalize anything. That's why you must live by God's word. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You can rationalize anything. You can even make the Bible say what it's not saying. Trust God that God is all wise. If you are not well compensated, God knows what to do for you. Don't compensate yourself. Are you hearing this now? Don't compensate yourself. Don't, don't try. <laughs> You're working for a wealthy man. And you feel the man is stingy. So you decided to organize your own generosity. <laughs> Praise God. Walk on yourself this year and watch how things will come to you. Don't chase things. You're worth much more than that. I always tell people all the time, that thing you are chasing, always think that someone like you produced it. Think higher. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You're trying to drive a car. Don't forget someone manufactured it. You're trying to have this. Don't forget, someone produced that. Walk on yourself. Let's go on. A life, a great life is defined as a life that is fulfilling God's plan and purpose. Acts chapter 13 and verse 36. This is the best description of David that I like. Acts 13 verse 36. It says... For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. Look at this. David served God's purpose for his generation. A great life is a life that is purpose-driven. 
You're serving God's purpose. And you see, when we talk about serving God's purpose, many times we talk about, we just think of preachers. No, David wasn't a preacher. He was a king. He was a shepherd boy. But through him, God, you know, through him killed Goliath. Through him um, helped Israel. Did David make mistakes? He made mistakes. He made mistakes. But God still used them. But he was called a great man because he served God's purpose in his own generation. You see, you cannot serve God's purpose in another generation. It has to be your generation. If there's something I'm always conscious of in this life, is time. Right? Some of you are in Port Harcourt, not because you are from Port Harcourt. You are in Port Harcourt because maybe work brought you here or school brought you here. You see, always think of Whatever brought you to this place, always think of why did God allow me to come here? There's a purpose to it. There's a divine purpose to it. You know why? Because if you're not from here, or even if you're from here, some, some day and some time, your season in this place will be over and you'll move to something else. It is important that any reason God brought you, you accomplish it. Don't always think of your life without thinking of why did God bring me here. Always think that way. Always think that way. I've watched my life in several phases. God takes me to certain places. I build stuff and God moves me and I build stuff and God moves me. I can look at it like, oh, why am I here? That's why wherever I am at the moment, I pour my life into it. Your purpose would always be with time. And I tell people there's no better time to serve God. When you are single, it's a great time to serve God. When you're married, it's also a great time to serve God. Don't leave the service of God till you are retired. You know, some of you want to work and walk and serve God when you're tired. That's when you want to preach the gospel. <laughs> then you open your Bible. Read for me. Genesis 2. Somebody now read Genesis 2. And the Bible said, and the Bible said, come to me, come to me. Ah, oh, come on now. <laughs> come on. Don't wait. Don't give God your tired body. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Come on, talk to me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There is no better time to serve God than today. No better time. The things God has placed in your heart, there is no better time. There's not going to be a tomorrow that will be more convenient to serve God. If you were single, you realize that you could read at night. Go to bed, sleep, wake up. Eat anytime. When you have a child, it's no longer possible. When you want to read, the child holds the page of paper. <laughs> And before you know, you and the child are sleeping. Paper on red. Book on red. Then you have two kids. Why one is trying to sleep, the other one is crying. It's like, they have a timetable to ensure that you are always up. And before you realize, you can't read anymore. It's tough for you. We're not just even talking about reading the Bible. We're talking about personal reading. It's tough for you. It's difficult. For you make food for this one and make food for this one and make food for this one. And it's tough. <laughs> for you know you're tired. There'll be no better time. There are certain times in your life where you can put money and invest in yourself. Pay for a cost. 100000 By the time you're married and have a child. See the cost for. You see school fees. <laughs> are you hearing what I'm saying there's no better time 
to go for that course. Always be conscious of time in your life. Always. Listen. Always. This wristwatch in your hands, always take a look at it. Not for fancy, but to dictate your life. Always be conscious of time. There is a season for certain things in life. And if you, if you flow with the seasons of life, you would realize that life has a way of just... For instance, I always tell, the peop, uh, tell my folks in Bonnie Island that when you are married, stop thinking like a single person. That season is over. Let me give you an example. You can be married now and say, oh, you know what? Um, I, I just want to hang out with my friends. There's nothing wrong in hanging out with your friends. But your days of hanging out are limited. You already have a wife at home. Hang out with her. You have children. Hang out with them. Because you know what? When those children leave the house, you realize that you didn't spend enough time with them. And our children right now, you know, technically they spend about maybe 10, 11 years with us. Technically. Because by 11, 12, they're already going to secondary school. And if your children go to boarding school, I mean, that's your state. Season. When you have children, stop thinking like you don't have children. You must adjust your mind, right, to the season that you're in. When you are married, think like a married person. Don't try to be married and be competing with singles. You have left that face. If you wanted to be single, you shouldn't have married. As a pastor of the church, I must think as a pastor. Imagine I finish preaching this kind of sermon and I'm going out. Uh, an Uber driver, <laughs> you know, makes me angry. And I start fighting because I'm not in church. Then you are passing. How would you feel? Do you feel good? Say, man, I like my pastor. The man can blow. You, you know, you feel that. You, you understand? Now, if I'm not thinking, thinking like a pastor doesn't just mean that I'm thinking. My, my, my responsibility to God I'm also thinking how I represent everybody who sits in this church are you hearing what I'm saying you must make that mental adjustment don't think level A when you've moved to level B don't think level A when you've moved to level B there's something uh, Mr. Femi uh, taught during our personal leadership uh, class in the Bonnie church and you know out of everything he taught in the personal leadership class, that's the thing I picked. He said, think the next level. If you're a supervisor, how does your manager think? Don't dress like a recruit when you're expecting HRO to make you a manager. You don't, he said, I don't like to wear, I don't like to wear tie. I'm just saying, for instance, you work in a corporate, I don't like to wear tie. You don't have to like it. If that's what is required for the next level, you force yourself to like it. Let me tell you something about life. Anything you like now, you train your mind to like it. There's nothing you hate. There's nothing you like. It's all a factor of how you convinced yourself. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Come on. I said, are you hearing what I'm telling you now? If you, if you talk to yourself long enough, you would like it. And if you talk yourself out of it, you will not like it. How will a manager think? How will a manager approach issues? Very early in life, I was taught the value of time. I never go late to any meeting. I never go late to any meeting. I never go late to any meeting. I was taught the value of time. Whether it's spiritual meeting, whether it's secular meeting, if I tell you I'll be at your place by two, trust me, I'll be there. 
I'll store the value of time very early. And people who walk with me have picked up that spirit, the value of time. But yet, we all grew up in a culture that has no respect for time. So, you understand that? You can train yourself to be a man of excellence. If I give you my word, take it to the bank, it'll happen. If I tell you I'm going to do something, trust me, I'll do it. This is how you build your life. By character. The wisdom of character. Your life will attract what you've built. It, no, it will not attract what you wish. It will attract what? What you have built. And how do you build? By wisdom. So a great life is a life that's focused on the purpose of God. Number three, a life that is impactful, that is touching other lives. So we said, number one, a great life is not a life that's focused on accumulation. You're not just focused on what you get, what you're getting, what you're acquiring. Number two, a life that is fulfilling God's plan and purpose. You're serving God's purpose for your generation. Number three, a great life is a life that is impacting others. Esther chapter 4 verse 14. The Bible says you were born for such a time as this. Esther was a queen. But she ought to use that her royalty to save the people of God. Always think this way. Where you are today is to help someone become better. That's a great life. That's a great life. You see, you, you, sometimes it's not just about money. You have, you know the gospel. Share the gospel with people. Share messages that impact you with people. Think of others and how you can make their life become better. That's a great life. You remember of a local church. Think of how you can make the local church better. Don't just think of what the local church can give to you. How can you make people's life better? He says, who knows if you were born for such a time as this? You were born for such a time as this. He says, whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Where God has placed you. What you know. How is it touching other people's life? A great life. Things of how to bless others. And when we talk about blessing others, we're not just talking about giving them money, empowering them. A great man is a man who has empowered others to live to the fullness of their potential. Fullness of God's ability in their life. Jesus came and took fishermen and took tax collectors, took some who were rejects in the society and turned them to become apostles. That many years down the line, those men were willing to die for Jesus. Whose life are you touching? Whose life are you pouring into? Don't just come into life to get. You get from everyone. No. A great life touches others. A great life is a blessing. You are blessed to become a blessing. The position you are in, you ought to use it as a blessing to touch other people's life. Shared knowledge, shared opportunities. A Christian should never use his position to oppress others. 
That's why there are some kind of prayers I'm not very comfortable praying. You don't need to pray for people to die for you to be great. People's death and your greatness are not related. We shouldn't think that way. Oh God, do this for me. Let people know that you are God. Whether God does it for you or not, He's God. You're buying an extra car will not make people know that he's God. You know, some of those prayers are born out of competition, envy, a spirit of oppression. Why can't we be comfortable with everybody becoming great? What, what will it take from you? Why can't we feel comfortable if everybody's doing well? Praise God. Even the disciples of Jesus had that issue. Hmm? You know how some mothers can fight for the rights of their children. Mother of James and Zebedee came to Jesus. Zebedee came to Jesus and said, "Please, Master, these my children have been coming to your church. I have one request." And Jesus says, "What? Say, I want this one to sit on your right and this one to sit on your left." <laughs> and the disciples were angry. And you can imagine so is it because our mother cannot fight for us you know sometimes we can make church very political where church is more position than impact instead of looking for unsaved we are looking for dicking position say so this is dicking a dicking b dicking in charge of painting dinking in charge of <laughs> and then you now see quarrels and any any church where you see a lot of internal fighting they've lost the vision there's no vision anymore. As we are here, our, our greatest desire should be how do we touch this city? How do we reach more people? Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's not who is vice president of microphone, who is assistant treasurer of... You see, by the time you're thinking like that, you have already lost vision. You see, every time a man loses vision, he starts fighting himself. There are... You see, there are expressions... I was telling our brother, I said, um, when I came out of this place, I saw, I said, where, where are the secondary schools around this church? What, what are all the secondary schools? I said, list them out. Go out, reach out to them, and find out if we can come preach to them in the morning. That you, you have to look for a way to touch lives. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Even if it is to go to primary school, you have to do something. You can't just... If we are just gathering here on Sunday and Thursday, what do we do with the rest of the days? There are, there are opportunities for the spreading of the gospel. You know, we started our secondary school outreach in, in Bonnie Island. We're preaching five schools every, every week. And every Saturday, no, not every Saturday, one Saturday in the month, we've got teenagers come from all the schools, you know, and they come to church where, where we teach them. The minimum attendance we have is 70. The last one they do, usually the last one for the year, we have 300 teenagers, 300 secondary school people in church. I'm not even involved in that. The outreach, the teenager outreach team is that. Now we are planning for a girls summit, just only girls. We're planning for 500 teenagers in the month of September. We cannot be a church in this environment and not be conscious of the young people how we can reach them for God. When you lose vision, that's when you start petty fights when you don't have vision. 
How do you know a man who is vision conscious? He will overlook certain things. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If your vision is driving you, you are consumed by it. Jesus was not dragged into every quarrel the Pharisees and the Sadducees had. Why? His eyes was on the cross. He knew he came and he had three and a half years to accomplish what what he needed to do for humanity. Only three and a half years. If they had given some people 60 years, they would not have died up till now. Say, yeah, is it time? Who dies? We say, shift it one more year, sir. We have one or two things to do. You see, I thought on the message called Order and Systems. Even when God wanted to kill Hezekiah, he says, put your house in order. God didn't want to kill him in a disorderly state. Put your house in order. This year, be, be orderly. You have 12 months. One is already gone. You don't have time. Somebody say, hey, but we believe for long life. God is not giving you long life to waste it. Let me show you something. Let me show you something. Come with me. Come with me. Come with me. To Genesis 5. Let me read the story of a man to you. If you make this man your mentor, I feel sorry for you. Genesis chapter 5. Go to verse 21. <laughs> Your long life is not to waste it. There are things God wants you to do. Amen. Amen. There are things God wants us to do. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and became the father of Lamech. Then Methuselah lived 780 years after he became the father of Lamech. He had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Nothing. Just lived. Had sons. You know, I have a full message on Methuselah. And died. For some people, that's the circle of their life. They did not even say he walked with God. You realize that for Enoch, right? They didn't talk about he built this, he did this. They just talked about the quality of his work with God. For Methuselah, there was nothing written. Just had sons, lived, 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 had more sons, lived again. And some people live that circle. All they want in life, have a good job, have children, get married, have more children. (laughs) And some crazy ones drive the first wife and get another one. And bam, you are dead. What would you say you used your life for when you meet God? I know some of you, you're going to like, God, did you see the Mercedes Benz I drove? Did you ever drive a Mercedes Benz when you were on the earth? Use donkeys. I'll tell you this. Nothing you have on this earth will impress God. Nothing. What will impress God? What did you use your life for? And and, and as I'm telling you today, I'm not talking about doing big things. I'm talking about having a great life. Right? You don't necessarily need to do big things to have a great life. I'll give you an example from scripture. The the grandmother of Timothy. You know what Paul said about Timothy? He says, I know the faith that's in you. That's in your grandmother. That's in your mother. And that's now in you. We know those two women just for one thing. They transferred the faith that was in them to their children. I can tell you another example. When Pharaoh said, kill all the male children. And the midwives, they said, no. 
They preserved the male children. The Bible says, and God built them houses. God established them. I mean, all they did was not to obey Pharaoh and they have a great life. So having a great life is not in accumulation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's about the little things you do to touch someone else. The little things you do to be of a blessing to someone. Make up your mind this year that you're going to have a great life. Don't think about this year what I will get. Think what I will give. Think contribution. Praise God. Are you still here? Think contribution. Husbands, think contribution towards your wife. Wife, think contribution towards your husband. Just think. How can I be of a blessing? How can I contribute? Even in our nation, as it is, many people are disappointed. A lot of things are going wrong, but we cannot think consumption only. We've got to think production. We've got to think contribution. Starting our work in this city, the one thing in my mind is contribution. What can we do for the young people? What can, how, who can we reach? Not just what we can get from the city. No, but we must love the city enough that we don't want it to be the same. That's how to think. Are you still here? Let our lives count. Let our, I beg you, let your life count for good. If it's money, it will come. If it is opportunities, it will come. But let your life count. Praise the name of the Lord. Alright. So, a life that's impacting others. Don't live like Methuselah. Don't just watch 24 hours go daily. Don't just design your life to wake up. And go through what is usually called a rat race. Somebody say, even if you come out first, you're still a rat. Let your life not be competition. You're trying to outdo someone. There's no one in this life you should outdo. Just focus on the best of your ability. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. Are you still here? Focus on the best of your ability. You are not in a competition with anyone. You have a divine purpose. You have a divine purpose. So what are the essentials of a good life? No, we talked about wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. So we'll deal with wisdom this morning. Wisdom. Go to Mark 6.2. Mark 6.2, talking about the life of Jesus. It says, And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man learn these things? And what is this wisdom that has been given to him? So when Jesus taught... Uh, he thought with wisdom. Thought with wisdom. You know, I was thinking about the life of Jesus. How he started his ministry. He started with 12 people. He didn't even start with 12. He actually started with one. Called the first man. Called the second man. Right? And began to disciple them. Began to train them. Until they changed the world. They turned the world upside down. That's the series I'll do next month. You must learn to start small and grow. That's the kingdom way. Start small and grow. The kingdom of God grows. It's like, it's like a man plants a seed and it grows. Always think increase. Don't think decrease. The first words man heard in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 is, blessed be multiplied, be fruitful. 
And let me tell you how to think increase, right? You know, when we talk about increase, the one thing that comes to your mind is more money. <laughs> but let me, let me tell you how to think increase. The way you use today, today is Sunday, the way you use today, think of a better way to use tomorrow. Right? Right? Then think of a better way to use Tuesday. Every day, think of a better way. That's how to think increase. Your personal growth is the only guarantee that you have a better future. So, did you read today? Read a bit more tomorrow. Did you save today? Save a bit more tomorrow. Did you give today? Give a bit more tomorrow. Don't think of... Just, just think every day I want to get better. Right? In physics... I'm sorry, not physics. In finance, they'll talk, talk about the law of compound interest. Little, little things that will amount to much. How did we get here as a nation? Corruption started little, little, until we're almost overwhelmed by corruption. You are almost strange if you are not corrupt. That's how it just starts. Iniquity grows. Right? Iniquity grows. Righteousness also grows. Your personal development should grow. Think increase. Okay. Um, Proverbs 3.19 When we, you can put that up for me. When we look at the creation of the world, Right? Many times, follow this carefully, we always think that the creation of the world is based on the power of God. So when we think God and creation, what comes to our mind is the power of God. But look at what the Bible says. The Lord founded the earth by wisdom. Huh? How did God found the earth? I didn't hear that. How did God found the earth? How did he establish it? Understanding, but understanding established the heavens. Can you remember the scripture we started with in Proverbs 24? Wisdom, understanding. He found the earth with wisdom. When we look at this earth and you think of God as a creator, what comes to your mind is his power. But no, the Bible tells us when you look at the earth and see creation, what comes to mind should be what? Wisdom. Can I show you three things there very quickly? Number one, it's the wisdom of bringing order out of chaos. Order out of chaos. <laughs> the first thing you must learn in building a great life is how to bring order out of chaos. How to bring light out of darkness. Right? How to bring prosperity out of poverty. That's the first thing you must learn. You're not going to meet a life that is well arranged. You're not going to meet, I mean, a life that everything is okay. You might come to life and bam, there's chaos, there's disorder around you. Things are scattered. The first wisdom in building a great life is how do you separate light out of darkness? How, how out of a dark situation you create light? How does David, out of the rejection of his, his, by his own family, he, he, he conquers Goliath and becomes the king of Israel? How do you create order out of darkness? You don't have anything. You're poor financially. How do you create wealth out of that situation? I 
And you know, when people sometimes are poor financially, they fight everything rich. They hate rich people. That's a demon spirit that will keep you poor forever. Nobody's wealth is the reason for your poverty. Nobody. There's nobody's wealth that is the reason for your lack. There's nobody's success that is making you fail. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's nobody's success that's making you fail. It's estimated, well, our statistics can be funny, but it's estimated that by 2030, River State is going to be almost 30-something million people. That's the estimate. I'm just saying, I'm looking at it from a pastoral perspective. There is no big church in this city that will make your own church not to grow. Out of 35 million, did they stop you from having 500? You, do you understand? That's how I think. I don't think, oh, this guy is doing so well. What? No, 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 no. There's space for you. It's not the wealthy man in your neighborhood that is making you poor. That hatred, deal with it. It is darkness outside and darkness inside. If you don't find light on the inside, you can't create light on the outside. The wisdom of order from chaos. So if your life is chaotic, there's no problem about it. You can found a new earth. You can found a new heaven. Why? By bringing order. Then, the second thing we observe about Jesus, about God in creating of the earth was the orderly arrangement of things. He didn't create man. <laughs> Interesting. He didn't create man. And I'm like, ah, where will he stay? Hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. Okay, hold on, hold on. Let's arrange it. No. He created the heavens, the earth, stars, light. There is order in creation. Let me explain how that works in your life. Bring order into your life. Huh? There are certain things you should not attempt now. Do you get? I usually tell my single people, you are struggling, you don't have money, you are struggling to eat. You now say that you are in love. It's confusion. Some say, can you not fall in love? No, you cannot. No, you cannot. It's disorderliness. The first thing you should be thinking is, how do I have a place of my own? That's order. How do I eat? You know, after you have solved those first two equations, then you now say, how can I fall in love? You cannot fall in love when you are hungry. It's, it's disorderliness. Because you know what? What you should do as number three, you are brought to number one, it now destabilizes number one. So the little money you have to pay rent, you are now sharing into two. And God now forgive you. Sometimes you now fall in love with somebody that you are even better in your in your state. <laughs> you, you are now two times better than that person. So, although you are poor, to that one you are rich. So, in now, in now, do you understand what I'm saying? You don't have a business doing that. You don't have a business doing that. It's disorderliness. Life was designed that you create certain things, then it will become easy for certain things to fit in. You don't know your purpose. You have now carried someone. Both of you don't know where you're going. Are you following what I'm saying? Order. Light. Darkness. Brings order. And then when he finished everything, what did he do? Put man. Then he looked at man and said, oh, man needs... You see the order. Order. God did not create woman and I say, hey, 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 where is man? We say, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. No. Sometimes our life is that disorderly. Sometimes you are in a job and in that job, you're learning something that will make you better for another job. 
Don't let someone convince you to leave that job that there's no money. No. What are you doing? You are creating order in your life. You're learning something. I know people who ran out of school to make money. Now the education they have has limited their ability to make money. For instance, where I will go, for instance, and speak for one hour, what they will give to me, they might have to work for it for six months. Why? Because there's a cap to what they can. Don't be in a hurry. You see, every time you are in a hurry, you will make mistakes. Don't be in a hurry. We learn patience from God. You can take two years. It will look like your life is not making progress, but you are setting things in order. I realized this about life. That if you build your capacity, sometimes what you can earn in one year might be much more than whatever you'll be able to earn in three years put together. That's, that's how life works. You can move from one point to another. It looks like, oh, you had a big breakthrough, but actually the truth of the matter is that you've built capacity for that level. Are you still here? So the wisdom of founding the earth, bring that order. Bring that order. God didn't create animals and there was nowhere to put them. Then the, the fourth thing we learn about that wisdom is the fact that the Bible says the seed is in itself. It's the wisdom of the seed within. The seed is in itself. Study the book of Genesis carefully. What does that tell me? The seed of anything you're going to become is already in you. Everything that God wants to do through you, he has already placed through you. In you, sorry. And that seed is inside. That seed is inside. That seed is inside. Look inward. Look inward. I write books. I've written 17 books. The last book I wrote, the the e-book I'm releasing for, for young ministers, I wrote it in... I started writing in the morning and I think I finished around maybe one to 11,000 words. I know people who, oh boy, they've been trying to write books for the past two years. They write chapter one, then they write their name. Then they'll forget where the file is. Then I write chapter one again, I write their name. You see, don't struggle to do what is not in you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You know, sometimes you can come up with and say, ah, you ways to make money. I say, pastor, write books. By the time you write books and you say, <laughs> you will just be struggling. Everything God wants you to become, he has put on your inside. Let me explain this to you and I believe it. I believe. I don't have scriptures to prove it. So this is not Bible. This is just me. But I believe it. I believe that if none of us ever went to school, I believe if none of us ever had education, but we just looked inward there will be something a talent an ability a skill that god had placed in every one of us that should enable us at least be able to look after ourselves like i said it's not a bible doctrine so i don't have scriptures for it but i believe that everyone created into this world already has an ability on their inside given by God that if they would look inwards and fine tune it right even without going to school they should be able to take care of themselves I'm not a very mechanical person I'm I'm not somebody who does a lot with my fingers 
Okay? But I'm very intellectual. I do a lot with my brain. You know, I used to tell my wife when we were doing construction, I used to tell my wife that, ah, thank God that I went to school. I said, if you married me and I had to be pushing wheelbarrow or carrying block or doing all this, I said, hunger would have beaten two of us. Eh? Because, because, you know, I'm that kind of person that by the time I roll one truck, I'm done. I'm done for the day. Just pay me what I've done. Let me go. Do you, do you understand? I don't have now. I'm not saying that people who do that are people, but there are people who just like, oh, I'm in the house and generator goes off. You know what my default state is as an anointed man of God? Sleep till tomorrow. Nobody has died because there was darkness. Do you my wife is very mechanical, so you know, I, I usually jokingly refer to her as landlady. When the key gets bad, I just call her. This key is not locking. Say, okay, don't worry. She will bring oil. Bring this one. Bring this one. For me, if Tiff did not come yesterday, Tiff did not come last week, it's not this night that the key spread that Tiff will come. We'll survive. Do you understand? I'm not that mechanical. But when it comes to, she says, she's writing something, she sends me something, I say, read through this. I go through it. I say, oh, it's okay. Say, Have you finished reading it now? You, there's something God has given to you. Listen, don't fight that thing. Align your life based on it. And you'll gain speed in life. The seed is in itself. The seed is in itself. Let me begin to wrap up very quickly. Just give me a few minutes here. What are the sources of wisdom? Right? The seed is in itself. What has God placed on my inside? Talked about cultivating your field. That's God place on my inside. What are the sources of wisdom? Number one, God. James 1.5 He that lacks wisdom should ask God. James 1.5 Do you lack wisdom? Ask him. You see, <laughs> there's something my wife does that really impresses me. If, she's, if anything is missing in the house, the first thing she will say is, Holy Spirit, help me. Where is this thing? You know, it doesn't cross my mind. Even though I'm a pastor, to ask the Holy Spirit, one day, one of our keys was missing. We looked everywhere. She just said, oh, Holy Spirit, where is this key? She just went straight somewhere and she felt impressed to pick one of her jackets that she had worn. She, she normally wore a shirt and then put the jacket on that. The key was there. The truth of the matter is that all of us would have suffered that night. Nobody would have thought the key was there. I'm still learning this. But, you know, it can look childish. Right? If you misplace your keys and say, Holy Spirit, help me find this key. But how many of you know the Holy Spirit wants to help us in things like that? Yeah. You know why some of us don't walk in the wisdom of God? We feel we already know. Why don't you ask the Holy Spirit? Lord, help me. George Washington Carver said something. He discovered 300... Uh, you, you should read up his story. Very, very amazing biography. He, he discovered 300 years of the peanuts... And he said that the, whole, that the Holy Spirit taught him. See, the Holy Spirit can help you in your job. If you lack wisdom, ask. The number one way to get wisdom, ask. Lord, give me the wisdom for this thing. Right? But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Who gives to how many people? All. How does God give wisdom? Come on, somebody help me. How does God give wisdom? Generously. God is not pinching wisdom. He's not saying, ah, you've accessed today this one kilogram of wisdom. No, he's pouring it generously and without reproach. 
God will not shame you for asking for wisdom. There is a situation going on in your life right now. Stop binding and losing. Ask for wisdom. Some, some of you are binding things that are not even there. Right? Just say, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. Ask for wisdom. Wisdom where my finances is concerned. Wisdom where my job is concerned. Wisdom to manage this relationship. Wisdom to manage this marriage. Ask him for wisdom to manage my career. Lord, give me wisdom. Pray the prayer of wisdom. Simple. Before you bind and lose and destroy and uproot and pluck, ask for wisdom. See, wisdom makes your life easy. Praise God. Oh, wisdom. Oh, but I tell you. I can't tell you how many people in our local church have had their finances trans- transformed just by some of the things we teach. Wisdom. 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 Over the years, I've had people who struggled with their rent come and just say, Pastor, thank you for the teaching. My life has become better. I cannot pay my rent. I cannot look after my children. It wasn't a supernatural intervention. It was just wisdom teaching them order. Earning the same amount of money, but their lives just got better. Wisdom. Okay? So God, God gives us wisdom. God is called the all-wise God. Ask Him. He wants to give you wisdom. Number two, through books. You get wisdom through books. We're just looking at the four sources of wisdom, and then we'll close. Wisdom through books. Right? Now, I'll tell you something. Daniel chapter 9 verse 2, the Bible says, I understood by books. They were in captivity. And Jeremiah had prophesied that they would be in captivity for 70 years. And, and Daniel uh, picked up the book and read. And he said, hey, I'm not supposed to be in captivity. More than this. It's supposed to be 70 years. 70 years are accomplished. Lord, hmm? books. Now let me explain something to you. At this stage of your life, there are millions of books all over the world. You cannot read everything. And it's not about accumulation. They show you this book, say, ah, I have it. They show you this one, I say, I have it. It's not, you are not a librarian. It's not about how many books you have. Are you following what I'm saying? It's about the books you have read, number one, understood, number two, and implemented. That's, that's how you become better. It's not by reading. You read, you understand, and you implement. So what should you do? I'll give you, I'll give you a very simple example. Which area of your life do you want to build now? Get books in that area. So you can say, for instance, in the first quarter of the year, the first three months of the year, I want to build my communication skills. You zero in on that. You read those books. I want to build my leadership skills. You zero in on that. I want to invest in my marriage. You zero in on that. I want to invest in my finances. For instance, I'm not, I'm not so much of a financial person. Okay? But I take every December, I read only financial books. Every December, I read only financial books. I take financial courses. So I enroll for financial, I, I buy financial books. I have a budget for that. Just have an idea of how finances work. Now, when God began to expand our ministry... Um, local church in Bonnier and then we need to plan this Paraco church, I began to read a bit more about financing at a corporate level. How should, um, how should I manage the finances of an organization? Because our church has moved from where it was just a few people, now we've got, we've got four full-time staff, right? 
Now in our ministry, we just started. Uh, it, in reading that, I now have to even study about, oh, the pension laws in the country. If you have this number of employees and you have this number of income coming by law, every of your staff ought to be on pension. So we have to implement the pension scheme for our staff. So what I'm saying is that they didn't teach us, they didn't teach me, I didn't read it from the Bible. I didn't get it from the Bible. God didn't show it to me by revelation. I got it from books. So you cannot read everything. But you have to read what you need. You cannot read every other thing you don't need and leave what you need. You're on Facebook. You are reading how people's marriage have collapsed. You are reading how somebody entered private jet and was drinking juice. How does that improve what you don't know that's easy that's cheap information you have to move from entertainment to education quality education so what areas do you want to build pick a book and read it and write what you want to implement from that book one hour every night will change your life just read one hour. Shut your phone. Read. See, there's nothing in. There's no news in this world that if you don't know, it will affect you. Just, just. <laughs> you know, people who argue a lot about economics, right? If I told you on Thursday, right? I told you jokingly, but it's true. Ah, dollars gone up. Dollars gone up. When it was less, what did you do? It was not that you were building a refinery before. Then dollar now went up and now affected your project. I mean, come on. You know, stop making it look like things are very bad. As if they were good before. Eh? When dollar was 100 to 1 dollar, what did you... Did you start a factory? Cost of production now went up. You are, just, you are just concerned about what you should not be concerned about. There is a level of information you would have today and you will be sought after. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So... Please write this down. Information management is crucial. You mustn't read everything. Read in your area of field. Read to become an expert, right? Talk about the 10,000 uh, hour rule, although some people argue that, but however it is, read to become better. Read to become better. Don't just read everything. If you read 10 books this year, 10 solid books this year and implement them, they can radically transform your life. You don't need to read the whole world. Be diligent. Apply. Number, number three, mentors. Mentors are shortcuts to success, Dr. Mike Mudok would say. Have a mentor. Have a mentor. One of the things I do at the beginning of the year. You know, of course, I select the books I want to read. I select the areas I want to develop. And then I ask my mentors for a list of books that have impacted them. It just gives me, um, it just gives me something quality to read. You know, in early days in my life, I used to buy a lot of books. And I, I still do buy books. But now, I just buy selected books. Right? So what I do, I have, I have a particular folder in my, in, my, in my laptop or my workspace. As I'm going through this year, right? If I see a very good book, I put it down. I put it down. Maybe at the end of the year, I take time to buy those books. Because I also realize that sometimes you see this book, you buy it, you leave the one you are reading. You see this new one, you buy it, you leave the one you are reading. So you just realize that by the end of the year, you have bought a lot of new books and the information you wanted to get at the beginning of the year. So now, I do delayed reading. Except it's a matter of urgency. But... You've got to build that, okay? So mentors can help you. Mentors can give you wisdom. They can share their stories with you. 
Alright? And that's what you find about Solomon in the book of Proverbs. His mother shared things with him. His father shared things with him. Mentors shared truths with you. Then lastly, observation. You get wisdom by observation. Proverbs 24.30. This is one of my most favorite ways of getting wisdom. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 30. I pass by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. Go to verse 31. <laughs> and behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken. Verse 32. When I saw, when I saw, what did he do? Can, come on everyone, help me. When I saw, what happened? I reflected upon it. What happened? I looked. And what was the next thing? I received instruction. The law of observation. Can you put that in the Amplified for me, Peter? The law of observation. Verse 32 alone. The law of observation. When I saw, I reflect. Then be, I beheld and considered it well. Many people don't observe. Praise God. Many people don't observe. First of all, okay, Solomon, we'll close shortly. First of all, first of all, observe your parents. Observe your parents. That's the first place to start from. I know you like your mother. I know without your father you will die. I know. But pull back and ask one simple question. Everything that my father did, was he right? Everything my mother did, was he right? Don't be biased. Don't be emotional. You love your parents. If it was not right, that's where to start from. It's foolishness to repeat the mistakes of your parents. It means you don't observe. And I can tell you, my parents are pastors. Nobody has a perfect parent. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Church, are you with me? So, you start from there. You start from, the first thing you must tell yourself is, whatever mistake my father made, and whatever mistake my mother made, I will not repeat it. And be honest. Are you following this? Number two. Look at your life. Reflect upon your life. Which area am I struggling? What, which area am I struggling? You know, early days, I'm, I'm a very, I'm a very goal-oriented person. I'm action-driven. If you listen to me long enough, you will know. I'm a project action-driven. So I realize that I struggle with delegation. Okay? If I give you something to do and you are wasting time, I will take it from you and do it. I'm that kind of person. So the first two years, it was a bit of a struggle with my personal staff. Because I will give her something and before she knows, I've done it. So when I was receiving feedback... I just realized that I'm not good with delegation. I'm not good with... Because sometimes I do my things quickly. You know, and I can do almost everything when it concerns, especially ministry. So I have to start buying delegation book, watching delegation videos. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because if I don't improve on that area, it will put a lead in my leadership capacity. You have to be truthful to yourself. You don't deceive... You know, people can say, if you deceive people, don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive anybody. Do you hear what I'm saying? Take an honest. And sometimes that honest reflection comes from the people closest to you. Okay? So, what are my areas of weakness? Reflect. 
Go back to the New American Standard Bible. Reflect. Look upon it and receive instruction. Then, look at the lives of your friends that are closest to you. I know they are your friends. But ask yourself genuinely, are they making progress? Because you know, you and your friends can organize a pity party for yourself that makes all of you look good. You know, all of you can trek for two years. And you are telling yourself, you don't mind. Today we are trekking. God, we will surprise them. Don't mind. You ask yourself, why are you people still trekking after two years? Should you be trekking by now? Don't surround yourself with people who are comfortable with mediocrity. I don't, I don't surround myself with pastors who are okay with just... Uh, it, it, uh, I don't know. No, 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 no. Is there something we can do? Reflect. Reflect. Are your friends genuinely making progress? Are they becoming better? Because if your friends are not becoming better, the chances of you becoming better is not there. If your friends are not making progress, the chances of you making progress is zero. Reflect upon it. And get wisdom. Then reflect on the people around you. Reflect on your surrounding. You know why we like our church to run the way we run? With order, of course, we have the gifts of the Spirit and the of the Spirit, but with order, being time conscious, doing our things properly and excellently. It's because we, we want that if you walk into this church, it doesn't reflect the disorderliness that's in Nigeria. You know you can, you can so live in an abnormal society that abnormality becomes normal. Yeah, you can just think it's normal. So when you see people queue, you know, when you see people queue and they are in one place, you're not asked to say that, what, what did they happen there? Say they are queuing for something. Say, ah, and they are in a straight line like that. Because in your mind, somebody should be standing under the mango tree, somebody should have coke. Once the place is cut, I say, hey, you know that? <laughs> you know, sometimes when you are so used to disorderliness, all that can make you scared. Huh? That's why we run the church the way we run. I know someone who came to our church the other time, and we asked, him, "Why are you not coming to church?" He said, ah, he said, "The church is too quiet." I said, "What do you mean by it's too quiet?" He said, "Ah, just too quiet." You know, because the idea of church is that by the time we are done, hmm? by the time we are done, all shots are pinning you down. You are shaking, chairs are scattered. By it's like a tornado. By the power of God was strong. And you live there and your character is not transformed. The first proof that you're a Christian is that God works on your character. Are you here? He said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I mean, of course, like I said, we have the gifts of the Spirit and the machine of the Spirit, but order. Why? Because young people are going to come here. All kinds of people are going to come here. We wonder when they walk into this church, they take this order to their home. They take this order to their finances. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They take this order because the world out there we have to be an example. So you look at your nation. Why is Nigeria the way it is? You reflect upon it. And if you want to create a better country, child of God, it starts from us. Okay? So learn the law of reflection. Okay? Some of you work in international organizations here, multinational organizations, ask yourself, one simple question. Why is it that Nigerian businesses don't thrive? Ask yourself that question. Huh? 
you are starting a shop, ask yourself, why is it that other people who started this same shop failed? Ask yourself those questions. Don't just assume that because you're the one starting it, you will not fail. Reflect. Right? That's why if you go and do a master's in business admin, they do case studies. Why do they do case studies? So that they can know the success and the failure point. So in your own life, do case studies. Eh? Your case studies should start with what? Your parents. Mother, father, siblings. If you have uncles that are doing well and uncles that are not doing well, ask yourself, why is it that this same person from this same family is doing well and this one is not doing well? Just ask yourself that question. Then look at your life. Then look at your friends. Then look at your environment. Okay? Plug yourself in an environment that will aid your success. Plug yourself in a local church that will aid your success. Plug yourself in a, in a place of growth. Don't put yourself where your mediocrity is celebrated. Strive for excellence. Strive to become the best. Hallelujah. Are you blessed this morning? Alright, let's stand on our faith. Just pray and thank the Lord. We're going to ask the Lord for wisdom this morning. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you praise. We honor you, Father. Oh, hallelujah to your name forever. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Just in one moment, just lift up your voice and just ask the Lord for wisdom. And say, Father, thank you. Oh, we receive wisdom from you this morning. Every area of our life where there's a struggle, we ask Jesus that you would help us with wisdom. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit of God. We pray for the release of wisdom. We pray for the release of wisdom. We pray for the release of wisdom. In the name of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father. Oh, let there be the release of wisdom in our hearts and in our minds, oh God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for everyone here this morning. You will help us to gain wisdom. Oh, help us, oh God. Help us, help us to gain wisdom. And as we leave this place, as we reflect, let the spirit of grace come upon us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. listening to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. We encourage you to share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.thepastormax.ng We would like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng or you can call 0805 888 7575. God bless you.